You know, uh, segueing into this message, I can't think of a, a better topic for us to talk about it in terms of spiritual terms, and, and that is the fact that you and I were worth it too to him. Amen. In fact, when you read Psalm 8, if you want to turn there, it really kind of tells you just what God thinks about this part of his creation. Everything he has created or will create is, is good. The Bible says that. He didn't make anything bad. But his people have always been the masterpiece of his creative ability. And in Psalm 8, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man, that you care for him. Aren't you glad that he's mindful of you today? I want you to write this down, simply this, that we are the apex of God's creative ability. That means the top of or the highest order. It means the greatest demonstration and example of his creative ability and power. There never will be anything to surpass the creativity and ability that he has demonstrated in the human being. Turn your neighbor and say, I already knew this about you, but you're complex. Yes, amen. Psalm 8 celebrates this wonder of, you know, why is man such a big deal? Well, Scripture says in Genesis 1.26 that we're actually made in God's image. There's no river, no mountain, no lake, no grassy plain. There's no animal, there's no angel, there's nothing else in all of his creative order that was made in the image of God. Scripture says in Genesis 1.28 that we're actually his regents. We're supposed to take dominion over this earth and rule. We're not supposed to be ruled over in life. We're to be rulers and overcomers in life. And he's given us that power and authority. I think about 2 Corinthians 6.18 where he calls us his sons and his daughters. Imagine that. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are blessed people, aren't we, church? In Romans 8.7, the Bible says that we're joint heirs together with him. Think about that. Whatever he owns, you own. Whatever he has, you have. Whatever he has earned, he distributes to you because you are his joint heir. There's a pattern to this. In Zechariah 2.8, the scripture says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory, he has sent me against the nations which plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. You're special. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You say, well, that's not about me. That's just about his Jewish family. If you accepted Christ, you were engrafted into his family. That makes you a treasured possession as well. That means there's something about the human being that is different from every other created object in the universe or ever will be created. How in the world can you possibly determine the value of a human being? How's that possible? You and I might just say, well, you know what? It's absolutely priceless. There's no way to value it. How do we come up with a conceivable number to say this is how much it costs or this is what a human being is worth? Well, we can try, for example, by the statistical life model, which basically is a, is a model that says 
It's the value of preventing a fatality. This means that the people on the earth right now, if that's true, there are going to be 8 billion people very, very soon. That means that people alone, not the resources, not the land, not the mountains, the people alone on this earth at $10 million a head, which is what the EPA puts the value of a human being. If that's the case, the people alone are worth $80 trillion. To give you an idea how valuable that is, the national debt is $30 trillion. The value of people in this world $80,000 trillion. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm really impressed with you now. I, I am so impressed. See, you and I have been trained to think that the earth and its treasures, that's where all the wealth is at. Can you see how a paradigm shift can change everything for you? Can you see why it's so despicable to snuff out the life of the unborn in the womb before there's even expression of life? 10 million here, 10 million here, 10 million there. Every 20 seconds a baby is aborted. That's $10 million. And you say it's a matter about rights. It's a matter about God's creative order. And how dare you pervert it? You got to live. How dare you deny somebody else the right to live? I don't care how you wrap it politically. I don't care how you justify it in your mind. These statistics are not come up by Christians. These are statistics you know, given to us by, by insurance you know, parameters and by the EPA to, to, to try to determine you know, if we try to somehow diminish the threat to their life, how much is that going to cost over the course of a lifetime? It's $10 million. Look at somebody and say, can I have your autograph, please? The national debt is under $30 trillion. Human beings are worth $80,000 trillion. Perhaps we've been putting our confidence in the wrong thing. You could estimate the value by the elements in a human being. You know, toss a human being in a machine extractor. Hopefully they're dead first. And here would be the total value based on the elements in that body. Everybody say the elements. $989.20. How many like the EPA's figure better? $129 for the oxygen. $384 for the carbon. $35 for the hydrogen. $7.20 for the nitrogen. $200 for the calcium. And $234 for the phosphorus. That's impressive. Or you could estimate the value of a human being by the harvesting that might be done on somebody that's alive. You see, that's just preposterous. It's happening in China right now every single day. And if these people in the CCP, the Communist Party of China, don't stop it, they're going to face Almighty God for this. Because they're playing with His creative order. Killing people they disagree with to prop up people in the party who have the right things they say they believe and they do. But if that's done, and you were to harvest while alive, you're worth $45 million. If you harvested everything at, at death, quickly thereafter, it'd be $550,000. Current black market prices for a heart, $1 million. And a very prosperous black market right now in the world. A liver would cost uh, $557,000. A kidney 
would cost $262,000. Look at somebody and say, take care of your liver and your kidney. Amen. We could try to compute your worth and value by lifetime earnings. The average person in America, uh, over a course of a lifetime, will earn $1.7 million. You're trading your life and your time for that money, more or less depending on education, opportunity, and technical skills. We could try to value you by the contribution you make to serve others or make a better life for others. That subjective parameter might be a whole lot more, you know, important in the long run. You make life better through your education or through medicine, through manufacturing or through trucking or building. Nobody seems to notice the truckers until the stores, you know, shelves aren't stocked. But I assure you that every dimension and aspect of our very sophisticated logistics in this country, they're important. Those that build, those that engineer, the contributions they make. It's not just the Mother Teresa's, it's everybody taking their skills and gifts that God gave them to make this place better for everyone else. Probably the best way to determine your value, the most outstanding way, is to find out what somebody is willing to pay for it. And when we go down that path, we find out that the price for you and for me was God's own son. That's how much you're worth today. The blood, the spotless, sinless son of God, his blood is the price, and that's what gives you value because that's how you and I were redeemed. Remind yourself of this scripture in Isaiah 53 of what he went through. I, even to this day, I have a hard time I pull up little clips of Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion, and, and watch how they beat him and scourged him. And watch how they went from, you know, from sticks, you know, to, to the leather straps, to the leather straps with the balls that would bear into the skin. And as they pull it out, the skin would fly, and they would actually baptize the Roman, you know, soldiers in charge of this in the blood of Jesus as they actually did this. It's hard to comprehend what he did for you and for me. Why would you do that, Pastor? Because you're worth it. You're worth it to him. You're worth it to him. And that's the only opinion that matters. And some of y'all need to walk out of here with a revelation of that. Because you've been trying to determine your worth and value by every other opinion. Who've never paid that kind of price. Who've never invested in you like he has. Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds were what? We're healed. But don't discount what he actually did for you and for me. In John 3.16, the Bible tells us so simply, for God so loved the world, and if you don't get this today, get this. We're not talking about the, the globe. 
When you hear the word world there, for God so loved the people, not the planet. For God so loved the world, the people, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but what? But have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 15.23, greater love hath no man than this, that a what? The man should lay his life down for his friends. Why? Because you are worth it. Can I tell you something? You still are. Come on, say it. I am worth it. I'm still worth it. You see, he doesn't determine your value by how perfect you are, how many failures you've had, how many people that like you or don't like you, how much you have or don't have, your titles or lack of them, your education or lack of it. He values you based on the price that was paid for you. Hallelujah. We know how much we're worth. Not by the EPA figures or by the black market, you know, or by rendering some arbitrary amount for the elements that we have in our bodies. That's not it. We know how much we're worth because the enormous price was paid to redeem us or buy us back. And as a commodity, the blood is very limited. There is only one source that qualified, and he shed it for you and for me. See, the Christian faith can't be reduced to amplifying what he did one Sunday in March or April. To get a revelation of just how precious you are to him can absolutely radicalize your life. It can lift you out of all kinds of, you know, self-hating and, and doubting and loathing and letting all the opinions of people rush in to defeat you, and you just remember that you must be special. Your function and your form, and that doesn't even include the spiritual aspects, the fact that you're a producer for eternity, not just on this earth. The question is, how can I show my appreciation for what he has done? He says I was worth it. Amen. It's like that old man says to her, you were worth it. I believe every veteran says that. I believe every fallen veteran has said that and demonstrated that. We were worth it. The question is, you know, how do we respond to a statement like that? I think we have to honor what they said and what they did. They counted us as, as worth it. Jesus counts us as worth it. We need to prove he's right by how we live our lives. Come on, say it. I need to prove it by how I live my life. And I'm just going to tell you that uh, if, if you brought your offense cap in here, just set it off over here for a while. Make up your mind. You're going to love the pastor. Because I can tell you, because of the high price that was paid, the Lord is a little bit tired of the foolishness going on in the body of Christ. Not based on a man or a preacher or a church or a denomination, but the only one that matters, the one who paid the price, I think he deserves certain outcomes from us. I think he deserves certain behaviors from us. I think he deserves for us to live a certain way. I think he deserves for us to stop making excuses for all the reasons why we can't do what God's called us to do. 
And for us today, it can, it can start right now. How can I do that, Pastor? How can I prove him right? How can I show my appreciation for this unbelievable price that was paid? Well, first, be saved. It's not a small thing to be saved. Did you know you're not going to hell? <laughs> hell is real. Did we not decide today to have fun in church? You're not going to hell. I mean, that's some good news right there that hell is real and you're not going, praise the Lord. Well, because of that blood. By be saved, I don't mean merely religious, ceremonial, you know, ornamental, or cultural. The most professing Christians today, notice what I said, most professing Christians in America today do not believe in the integrity or the inerrancy or infallibility of Scripture. They do not believe that Jesus is the only way, and they don't believe in things like a holy trinity. Because they bought into some cultural concept of who Christ is and what Christianity actually is. Now, it reminds you that there weren't 15 different religious personalities that shed their blood for you. And if they did, it wouldn't matter because they weren't qualified. Only one is qualified and followed through with it. Did what was necessary that you and I could be saved. So that's why we say, not because we're Christians and because we want to be somehow sectarian and, and call ourselves better. We're not better. We should be more humble because of the grace that God has given us, realizing what he has done for us and what he continues to do for us. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You must be born again, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's just beside me, I don't have a clue what church or churches these people are going to that think that all roads lead to heaven. There's only one road. There's only one way. There's only one name. Well, you're a bigot pastor. No, I'm a Christian. Do you understand the difference? A Christian will believe what the Bible says. Ever mindful of the price that was paid. Ever mindful of what he did. He's the one that put value on my life. He's the one that puts value on your life. Amen. He's the only way. Not being merely moral or living according to a self-imposed moral code. Not merely good, because the Bible tells us there's none good. No, not one. Only God is good. Who? Just God. We're talking about being authentically born again and conforming to the word in belief and conduct. In other words, real transformation. Say it with me, real transformation. The real born-again people start conforming to what the word says. They believe what the Word says, and they start living in a way consistent with the Word. Instead of saying that Jesus preached love and tolerance, be honest and, and tell the people Jesus preached repentance for deviation from his Word and standard. It is not love to tell somebody that Jesus preached tolerance. That is a lie. The truth of Jesus is he preached, yes, neither do I condemn thee, but add the rest of it. Stop lying about my Lord and what he said. He said, go and sin no more. 
be born again, now conform to my word in your belief system and in your conduct. But you have the culture screaming at you, tolerance and bigot and all kinds of names. Well, either you're going to be moved by the value he placed on you or moved by what they say. As for me, I'm going to be moved by the value he places on me. Amen. This isn't a popularity contest. He who has the most friends in the world at the end of the life is the one that wins. No, I think he said friendship with the world is enmity or hostility to God is actually what he said. Number two, be faithful. You want to prove he's right about your worth? You want to prove that you're showing appreciation for the price that he paid for you? Yes, be born again and enjoy that walk. And every day, get closer to him. And every day, become more holy. And every day, be more, more in tune with what his word is saying. And conform in your life and your belief system what he said. Don't make stuff up and don't listen to the world. They got it wrong. An awful lot of Christians are listening to what the world tells them they should believe about our faith. How dumb can you be? But second of all, be faithful to what? First of all, your relationship with Christ. Your relationship with Christ. We see lots of churches that are flourishing in a, in a mega church design and what we would call a new paradigm where little is expected, little is required, little is done in terms of real devotion, in terms of real service. And we think that that is telling us or indicating in America there's health in this country spiritually and there is not. You want to know why? Because if you have church without Christ, it's just religion. Anybody that really is born again, they're going to change. But are they going to be incentivized to change when they come in and the church says, you're okay the way you are? I want you to look at your neighbor in the eye with all the love you can muster and say, you're not okay the way you are. I'm okay. You're okay is a lie from the pit of hell. We should be changing and transforming. You need to be faithful to your relationship with him. Having that time with him. Developing that relationship with him. That's where it all starts. But also faithful to your church. Why? (laughs) Because Christ without the church is rebellion. You were told to be a part of church. You're commanded to be a part of church. And there is no little asterisk for circumstances. You break open a secret part of the scriptures and there's a little bitty envelope in your Bible that says, unless COVID breaks out. Now I'll tell you what you do. So you know what? I am not letting things control my relationship with my church because the word is standing order to not be one of those that forsake the assembly of myself together as is the manner of some. I'm just going to go ahead and do what the word says regardless of what things say or what things are going on or what people think. Now, you know, well, you're a pastor. You have to say things like that. Oh, no, I don't. There are thousands of pastors who won't touch this stuff. They're too busy patting you on the head and telling you, darling, bless your heart. Doing everything they can not to offend you so that you won't go the other way. I'd rather you get offended for a little while and get your eyes open. Yeah. 
Be faithful to the church. Years ago when I was in college, a very popular Christian contemporary band, Sweet Comfort Band, which was fronted by Brian Duncan, wrote these lyrics. He said, you led me to believe, and I followed everything you'd say and do. You led me to believe. You changed your way of thinking now, but I know what is true, and I'll keep on holding on to all the things you led me to believe. You taught it, and then you walked away from it. We need to teach it and stay on it. And get back to what we're supposed to be doing. There is no asterisk in the Bible for your circumstances. But I'm a special case. Your case, all right. Be faithful to your relationship with Christ. Be faithful in your relationship with the church. Be faithful to your ministry. Plug in, stay in, grow in, make a difference. If you don't have them, we have great need right now for children's workers and for helps ministry workers. These are important things. You know, the frontline ministries that impact people's lives. And nothing's more important than how children are taken care of during the church time. And God's been tugging at your heart. This is a great time to jump in there. You can see Miss Rhonda help you. You can see Miss Sarah about children's workers, one of the other children's workers. See Craig Banks about helps. You're needed. But here's the bottom line. What's going on right now in America is people have no idea that God expects them to be called to something and do it, just like pastors are called to do something. It's been our privilege and joy. We're completing 26 years here as of this week at Hope Harbor Church. It's been the joy, the thrill, and the, and the privilege of our lives. But that's not just for us. You should be doing your ministry until you hear the trumpet or until I bury you. Whichever comes first. And the longer I'm here, the more likely that is. Hey, you preachers, you're supposed to have those high expectations. That's the lie in the body of Christ. That's not the truth. <laughs> we had a transition years ago, and Miss B, many of you remember her, as our children's director for years and years and years, and uh, had uh, five other people on staff at the time, and, and some of them were being promoted. God was moving some of them around, and in about a week to 10 days, we went from having like six staff members to, to having one staff member. And, and it's really, I'll just let you know, no one was fired, no one was let go. There was nothing negative about it. It's just that they were moving into different directions that God had them going, and that's ultimate between you know, them and the Lord Jesus Christ. But B came to me, and <clears throat> I was walking out the door, and I stepped to where the canopy is, and she comes down that sidewalk, and she, she looks at me, and I just looked at her, and I said, are you leaving too? <laughs> and she looked at me in the oddest way. She said, you know, I just had a dream. And she said that uh, I was in this tree, this big one right in front of the church here, and a tornado came up, and I'm holding on to the branches with all my might. He said, my little legs are flying up like this in the wind. I'm just trying to hold on. He said, but I saw all these other people get carried off. And I said, well, what is the Lord saying to you about that? She's saying to me, it'll take dynamite to get me out of my ministry. And you know that there are people that she's discipled and raised up that have turned their back on their ministry. She would be so disappointed to know that they've done that. Amen. 
You don't vacate your post because there's a bad experience or a loss or a difficulty or a challenge or a misunderstanding. You stay where God put you because of the high price that was paid. We should never divorce ourselves very far from the cross and what he did because it will keep us in the act of ready knowing that we're supposed to do what he's called us to do because he said that we were worth it. Turn to somebody and tell them, you are worth it. And my challenge to you that, that are not involved, get involved and then stay involved. Don't let anybody push you out. Be like Miss B. Yes, she died early in my opinion, but I'm telling you what, she was faithful to her last breath, concerned about those kids. My last conversation was, she said, I'm a little bit scared of what's going on. I'm concerned about my family. I'm concerned about those kids. The last breath, concerned about her ministry. Contrast that with today's generation. Amen. I know what that's like. And um, late 90s, Brother Osteen died. I had four people, I would say, that uh, are fatherly or motherly in the faith to me. And every one of them, just incredibly important. And I know what it's like to, to feel the the, that, that pain and that, that sense of lostness is like, okay, all these people that have been so vital, gone. But I'm telling you, this is a generation that needs to stand up and stand in the gap. We've lost generals all over the nation. Good, powerful men and women of God. And if we don't step up, nobody else is. It was devastating to me when I got the word that uh, John Osteen had, had gone on to be uh, with the Lord. Like a lot of other sons and daughters from Lakewood Church, we all gathered down there for his funeral service. I was sitting with the tribe of Judah people and um, talking, you know, listening to what God had, had done through this man. It was amazing. But you have to understand the, the first you know, audio tape I ever had was his. The first little book I ever had was his. I received the Holy Ghost because of his ministry, and my sister prayed for me. I'm telling you, it was a punch in the gut. Just a few years later on, Jerry Henley went home to be with the Lord after pastoring this church and working on the field as a, as a revivalist, and he was gone. You know, Tim understands what I'm saying. With, I mean, when somebody like that is so important to you, it's the go-to person. I was talking to the sheriff yesterday, and he said, I was just on the phone with a former sheriff. He says, I, I do this all the time. I call him for advice. I said, you know what? I do too. And I got to thinking about all the times I used to call people like Jerry, but they're not callable anymore. They're not there. But I tell you what, he'd be absolutely devastated if I walked away from my ministry just because he went home to be with the Lord. On some of our worst days, we'd be at conferences or retreats like in Barren River at a minstrel's conference or something, and we'd be in the altar with Kelly and I praying and seeking God after a transition or a hard situation, and we'd be looking behind as somebody put their hand on our shoulder to be Jerry and Rita. How important people are to all of us. And if that wasn't bad enough, the man that discipled me as a college student and helped me become a person who cared about souls and cared about the Word of God, Mark Randall turns around and he goes home to be with the Lord. There's only one person left in that category. That's my sister, and she's going to stay here tormenting the devil until she's 150. <laughs> I know what it's like to see things change. And get weird and get ugly and get hurtful and get harmful. 
But there comes a time and you go back and say, look at how he valued me. Look at what he did for me. How could I dare bail on what he's called me to do? Because of some natural things that have happened, given what he has done. Besides that, there comes a time and you stop being the, the child and start being the father. Are you here? Three out of the four for me personally gone. But I'm not going to let that be the basis of what I continue in my ministry or not. And you're not going to let those things be the basis of whether you continue in your ministry or not. You say, I don't count. It doesn't matter what I do. Yes, it does. You'd be amazed the impact of handing somebody a thing of cotton candy or a hot dog or helping them register. Seeing the love of God without compromise, amen, without condemnation. Everything matters in the body of Christ. Our ministry, all it is, is service rendered in the name of the Lord. Amen? Why would I say this? I say it because there's just too much quitting going on in the body of Christ. Before you dare ever think again about quitting your Lord or quitting your church or quitting your ministry, you just meditate back on what he did for you. If you need the passion to remind you of the worth he placed on your life, then you do so. Whatever it takes to shake you out of that American lethargy that now is the norm rather than the exception. Number three, be ready. Be ready. Say, be saved. Be saved. Be faithful. Be ready. Say, I am saved. And I choose to be faithful. Be ready. Ready to what? Ready to pass. Ready to speak, first of all. As the scripture says in 1 Peter 3.15, ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Aren't you glad you have hope today? Bad things have happened, but Jesus is Lord. Tough things have happened, but he sits on the throat. Amen? This world is nuts, but Jesus is returning. Amen? And we get to be a part of ushering that in. Glory to God. The scripture says in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Paul said it like this. Preach the truth. In love, but be ready. Say it with me, I'm ready. Pastor, I didn't go to seminary. Pastor, I don't have a degree in theology. Let me tell you something about Hope Harbor Church and the people that have been here for years and years and years. And I don't say this privately. I don't say it arrogantly. I just know what I'm talking about because I've been in those institutions. You are better trained than 99% of the people that ever went to a seminary. And you were taught with faith. You were taught with the uncompromised word of God. You didn't study what somebody studied, what somebody studied, what somebody studied, what somebody studied about the scripture. Get the picture? You're in the scripture. You cut out the middle five men. <laughs> so you're well trained. It's just a matter of letting what you have flow into other people's lives. Share what you hear. Number two, ready to take a stand against the evil in this world. Hallelujah. In 70 years... In this nation, we have moved from schools with prayer and Bible reading and the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. 
to where now the flag is a symbol of hatred some teachers are teaching. Disallowing us to pray and read the Bible, but forcing our kids to learn the pillars of Islam under the association and guise of cultural understanding or enlightenment in the Buddhist tradition. Can I tell you something? It's about time American Christians started speaking up and standing up to this nonsense. And the counterpunch right now is, as we do, the voices are growing to tell us to sit down and shut up. A gentleman goes to a board meeting, Loudoun County, Virginia, because a transgender student raped his daughter in a girl's restroom and understandably infuriated. And so what does the press label him? What does the Justice Department label him? A domestic terrorist for opening up his mouth. Parents in Virginia around the country have a problem with critical race theory because it does not promote reconciliation. It does not promote understanding. It doesn't you know, promote advancement for understanding or for advancement for people you know, who have previously been you know, oppressed. What it does is build resentment and more racism in this country. Teaching one group of people that their ancestors were treated this way and therefore you should be offended and teaching the other side that you should feel bad about what they did and take responsibility for it. Let me tell you something about the difference between normal justice and God's spiritual justice. We don't pay for the sins of our father in the Bible anymore. He's paid for our sins already. It is patently unscriptural. And it never will be scriptural. We can't expect the world to understand that. But we certainly can understand parents rising up and saying, you know what, I don't want my little five-year-old running around vilified saying, what's wrong with me, who didn't do anything. We would no more do that than take a five-year-old girl in Japan and say, why did you do what you did to Pearl Harbor? That's insane. I'm not going to pluck a little boy off the streets of Austria and say, it's your fault those Nazis did what they did. Common sense is no longer common in this nation. And I'm telling you, you need to raise your voice up and speak loudly. Because they're going to try to continue to, to shut you up with names and with labels. The pastors who call out wicked policies and politicians and, and what they're doing in processes, they're told they're defiling their call. I'm not defiling my call. I'm answering my call in Jesus' name. If we don't speak, who's going to speak to these issues? It's nothing but a subtle attack to shut you down just like the Nazis did to the theologians in Germany and Austria. Get them to be quiet so the people won't stand up. We're not going to be quiet. We're going to get that Bartimaeus spirit upon us and we're going to shout out all the more and speak up all the more. Why? We've been given a great trust and a great price has been paid. Do you see Jesus telling a little white kid he's the blame for what happened in the 16 and 1700s? I don't think so. I also don't see Jesus oppressing anybody. He's not the oppressor. He's the liberator. He's the answer, not CRT. The Lord is the answer for our schools and our nation, not CRT. Amen. Amen. It's absolutely critical that, that you search your heart. There are people that hear that God may be raising up to run 
as a, as a county board member in this, in this county, running for school boards. Why well, not qualified? You're just as qualified as those idiots all over the country that are running. And if you're, listen to me, if you're a citizen and you're paying your taxes, you have every right to sit on a board like that. I'd vote for you. I'd do it myself if I had the time of day. They would regret having me on that board. <laughs> Parents all over the country are, are concerned about the direction education is going. It's because of these matters. And you know what? You can only get by with so long calling a bunch of parents' names before it doesn't work anymore. Can I tell you something? This dog whistling of hatred and racism has been used for years and years as being exposed. And it's just like the little boy that cried wolf. Americans are not going to answer to it very much longer. They're wising up in this nation. Don't tell me to just preach Jesus because that's not the model that he had. That's not the model that Moses followed or Isaiah followed or Jeremiah followed. No, or John the Baptist followed. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because we can't shut up because his word is like a fire in our bones. Amen. My brother-in-law Ben Priest used to say, if I don't speak up, my teeth will blow out my mouth. That wouldn't be a bad thing at all. That's one encourage to be ready, ready to speak, ready to take a stand. They tell you shut up, you speak up all the more. Amen. Those pushing this agenda that we should just preach the word and have altar calls and just care about what goes on inside these four walls, that is a very short-sighted and selfish view of the body of Christ. Go back to Genesis and you'll find out he told us to have dominion yes. and rule. Yes. Not crawl behind the stained glass windows if we had any of those in here. And hide around until Jesus comes back. No. No, we're called to more than that. So I'll take the criticism on Facebook from other pastors, you know, and they'll celebrate and glorify themselves and that they don't talk about anything, you know, in the church like that. All you're doing is admitting that they already got to you. Be ready to speak. Be ready to take a stand. Number three, be ready to go up. And I mean rapture ready. Be ready. Every day of your life, be looking for the coming of the Lord. Every day, live in such a way that you're pleasing to him. Every day you're expecting him to come. I tell you, the Bible says it'll purify you, but it will also exhort and encourage other people around you. How come you're so full of joy? Because Jesus is coming back. Amen? It may be what? Today. Say, well, you know, they've been saying that for years. Yeah, listen to me. Care for the church. Don't join the scoffers. Where's the promise of his coming? Don't go, don't go down that road. Be a believer. I'm full of joy because this could be the day today. Amen. Your noontime meal could be the last meal you ever have on this planet under its current disposition. Amen. Glory to God. Make it a good one. But be ready. Prepared. Rapture ready. Living right. Amen. Without spot. Without wrinkle. Without crinkle. Amen. Amen. Completely and totally prepared 
Amen. Why in the world would he mess with us? Because he thought we were worth it. And he still does. And guess what? You are. And our response to him needs to be what? Be saved. Be faithful. Amen? And be ready. Say it with me. I'm saved. I'm faithful. And I'm ready. Come on, stand on your feet and shout out loud. I'm saved. I'm faithful. And I'm ready. Say it again. I'm saved. I'm faithful. And I am ready. In Jesus' name. Amen.